welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 2, Command Performance. Command Performance was written by Seth MacFarlane and directed by Robert Duncan McNeil. To start things off, as always, Katie has gathered some trivia for us. I got, I got some good stuff today. I think I got some good stuff. So you mentioned Robert Duncan McNeil directed the episode. A fun fact about him is he played helmsman Tom Paris in Star Trek Voyager. He sure did. Did you watch Voyager? I have not. I oh. feel like the next generation is my is my sweet spot for sure. Star Trek. And I'm trying to branch out and watch all the other series. I started Voyager and I got overwhelmed because there's so many episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, I got to set aside time because I watched it and I loved it. But I just, how many seasons are there? There's a lot. Yeah, I don't remember. But Tom Paris is a major character in the show. Okay. And I think that's really cool. They've gotten like some really cool directors for the first two episodes mm-hmm. of this. I didn't know he directed. So this was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. So something interesting about this episode is Command Performance was the fourth episode of season one. Mm. But it was moved to the second when... What's now episode four, if the star should appear, performed poorly with test audiences. Ah. So we'll get to talk about that one in two episodes. But I just thought that was interesting that they switched up the order because the one that is episode four now didn't perform very well. And I think they actually had to add some things into this one to make it line up continuity wise. There, there's mm-hmm. The scene at the end was done afterwards with uh, Bordas and Clyden. Mm-hmm. That was added oh. on to the end of this episode, so it would properly line up with episode three. That makes sense because it de- like the next episode, which we won't talk about right now, sure is like it addresses all of that. <laughs> oh yes, uh, I thought this was interesting. Due to Fox Sunday Night Football going into overtime, the episode did not start until nine p.m. Eastern, which I think is interesting because it's a new show getting off the ground, and mm-hmm. they had to push back the start time for it because of football. Yeah, I. I mean, I imagine the football ratings are higher. Yeah. But I don't think it suffered too much as a result, no. if I read correctly. I I really don't watch sports. <laughs> so I just, I'm always like, I would be that person like, oh my God, is the game over so I can watch the Orville? Same. So it's very rare for actors to deviate from show script. But Scott Grimes, who plays Gordon Malloy, says his line, you suck, sir, was improvised. I can see that. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. I can see him being the guy that improvises, obviously Seth, because he's a writer, so he's kind of allowed that as they're going through things, but I can see Gordon being, or Scott Grimes, I should say, (laughs) being someone to improvise on set for sure. Yeah, I think sometimes it probably seems a little more organic to the conversation, too. It does. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting because it's such, that you suck, sir, is such a... It's like a punch of a line. It like is. you remember that. So while in the zoo, the apartment that Kelly and Ed are put in is an exact replica of their New York City apartment mm-hmm. where Ed found Kelly cheating on him. Yeah. Yeah. This episode created a challenge for Howard Berger. He is the makeup, the lead makeup artist for the show. Okay. And his makeup prosthetic team, as they not only had to create the red skin and domed head Calavon but also the other aliens that are imprisoned in the zoo. Oh, right. Yeah, because they're. this is probably the earliest that we've seen such a wide variety of aliens. We saw some on the Orville already, mm-hmm. but 
this is very early on and they're already creating species that we may or may not see again. So they could be creating a whole look for like a one-time use. Yeah. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is K&B effects group helped produce the aliens for the show and they do the zombies for the walking dead. Oh, wow. Okay. And I thought that was actually, I watched a lot of the walking dead and uh, I, I thought it was neat that K&B is the one that worked on Orville. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's quality work. The The makeup and the prosthetics are fantastic in this show across the board. And I have a really, it's kind of a long quote from Howard Berger, but I thought it was really interesting to read it and share with you guys because I have this awesome book called The World of the Orville, and it's in that book. Um, and it says, Seth had given us an opportunity to design all these creatures and deliver. And because we come from film and because we want to do super cool stuff, we brought that to the table and I had K&B effects group producing like crazy. We also do Walking Dead, and they thought nothing could be harder than that. But the Orville is a thousand times harder. It's not like, okay, we have to run 500 more zombies. This is like we have to create and design everything from scratch, and there's no rental on this show. Makeup and props and costumes are all custom. It was a shock to the studio, I think, when they began to see what it was going to take in time and money and effort to do this. I haven't worked this hard on a feature in each one of these episodes is a feature film in itself. Wow. I thought that was kind of cool, though. That's super cool. But it makes sense. Absolutely. Like in in Walking Dead, if they're like, oh, we need another zombie or another few zombies. It's like we have a template for that. Like there's something mm -hmm. we're already going for. But if they're like, hey, we need a few aliens in a zoo but you have to create them from scratch and yeah. what do they look like what do you need for them what are their color palettes like that's a lot of work and i think creating aliens it's different because a zombie is a zombie like creating a new alien race is a whole other bag of worms mm -hmm. bag of worms can, can of worms, worms. <laughs> can of worms not <laughs> i'm a bag sure of worms. you can transfer them to a bag <laughs> if you'd like Another thing is the crew used force perspective to place a human-sized performer in a large creature suit and then put them in an undersized zoo cell to give the impression of an alien several times larger than a human. And I'm talking about Aquar. Uh-huh. Yeah. That giant fluffy creature. I assume they just had a big zoo, but that's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. And another fun thing about Aquar, I think I'm saying his name right. Sounds right. He is made out of a modified bear suit. Okay, I can see that too. Sure. Yeah, so it's just interesting. I mean, you have to get so creative with creating these aliens and stuff. And I mean, you think about it, they're in a zoo. It can't just be humans in there. They had to introduce all these other races on yeah. top of the Calavon. And I, I kind of loved that because you get to see a little bit more into the universe. Oh, totally. Even though it's really sad that it's at a zoo. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that was interesting is Jeffrey Tambor, who's from Arrested Development, mm -hmm. and Holland Taylor, who's from Two and a Half Men, play Ed's parents yes. on this episode. Uh, fun additional fact about Jeffrey Tambor, just because I, I know this about him specifically, I don't know if you know this, on the Howard Stern show, there is a clip that they use of Jeffrey Tambor all the time as an audio drop. But it's not from the Howard Stern show originally. It's from the Larry Sanders show. Mm -hmm. And he says it in the Larry Sanders show and it's become synonymous with Howard Stern because of how often Howard plays it. And if you hear it, you might be familiar because all it is is, hey now. Really? Okay, I, I, I haven't listened to Howard Stern, so I wouldn't be familiar with that. But that I, that's interesting because I know Jeffrey Tambor 
as the dad from Arrested Development. Yeah. And that is like what he'll always be to me. Yeah, yeah. But he says, hey, now you say, hey, now, too. That's where it's from. I didn't know that. It all just goes through that chain. Yeah, it starts with the Larry Sanders show. Howard Stern popularizes the phrase. And then I took it from Howard Stern. Interesting. There's also some other guest stars yes. on the show. They're uncredited, but there's two Calavon spectators in the zoo, and they're cameos from two of the Mythbusters, Tori Bellici and Carrie Byron. Yes. And it was confirmed because like I think one of them posted on Facebook the day the episode aired with some like behind the scenes that they were on it. So they're uncredited. Yeah, Carrie posted. Yeah. Yeah, it's super So I thought cool. that was cool. Like they put people in makeup but and then you don't know who could be underneath it. Yeah. So I'm going to try to like dig that stuff up as we watch through. And I've heard there's lots of them mm-hmm. throughout the show. So I'm going to be digging going forward. I'm going to be digging to see <laughs> who I can find. Because like under alien makeup, you don't know yeah. like who's going to be there. And it, it is interesting. Especially uncredited. It's the job mm-hmm. of the Internet to scour and find these things. So we're going to use the Internet to uh, tell you guys about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so into the episode itself. It starts off with a scene of Bordis entering the captain's office to request a leave of absence. Apparently, he's laid an egg and needs 21 days to incubate it. I just loved everything about it. That whole scene in general, and the fact that Ed has Kermit the Frog on his desk. Mm -hmm. I grew up with the Muppets, and I've just appreciate that he has Kermit on there and Bordis is like what what is that yeah and he says it's just a leader I admire and I just thought that was a really cool thing I like how he starts going into an explanation and then he's just like but anyway yeah because it it's Bordis is laying an egg yeah that's a whole I mean the fact that he's like yeah we, we lay eggs obviously right so matter of factly as Bordis does and Ed's trying to understand how it works like is it a big egg and stuff like that but That comes back up later in the episode, which I'm excited to talk about. It does. Also, uh, omelet joke in poor taste, I would think. (laughs) Yeah, I will say the egg jokes. I was like, all right. I mean, maybe it's a defense mechanism. Yeah, I think he just goes. Well, I mean, I think he kind of likes ribbing Bordis anyway, because Bordis gives him nothing. Mm -hmm. He even says he's like, just remind me not to try comedy with you (laughs) because because you're you. But the jokes were fine. The omelet one was like, would you say that to a human? Like, I'm going to eat your unborn child. That's such a weird way to go with it. Yeah. Like if there's an extra egg, just pass it along to me so I can have a snack. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, Sorry. No. Yeah. I think it was like a weird defense mechanism because it's something like you don't understand Mm. or he didn't understand. So he's like, oh, I'll just keep making egg jokes. Maybe he was just like he couldn't stop himself. Maybe. I can see Ed being like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Orville receives a distress signal from the USS Blario. Upon arriving at the vessel, they initiate a scan to find that the Blario has already begun scanning them, which seems odd to them. Mm -hmm. And it also, they said that they were being attacked by the krill. Did they? I wrote a note about that. Oh, I missed that part. It's very possible. Yeah, I just missed it. And I think it was like a little thing that they like glossed over. Okay. Because I think that was part of the reason they wanted to go investigate because it's a transport ship. Sure. But, like, what are the odds that his parents are on that ship? Yeah. I know you would think he would have some idea as to what their plans mm-hmm. were. But my, who knows what their relationship is? We don't really know. This is the yeah. first time they're dropping them in here. Uh, they do hail the ship and speak with the captain. The captain reveals that Ed's parents are on board, 
who embarrassed him about getting a colon scan. <laughs> that was I loved that. That was actually a really good bit. Yeah. Just like did, he didn't get the scan like that. The whole they're on the bridge yeah. and everybody's listening to this conversation. They see Kelly there. Um, they see uh, Gordon. They catch up. But I just thought it was funny when they're leaving the bridge. He's like, my colon is fine, by the way. And I just <laughs> really like that. because I mean, he's it's parents embarrassing yeah. their kid. Yeah. And I just enjoyed that. Yeah, I did, too. With Bordis occupied, Mercer and Grayson leave Alara in command to take a shuttle over. This is her first time taking the command position. At this point, uh, I was wondering what the away mission protocol is. I know this isn't a standard away mission, but it felt mm-hmm. very odd to me that the captain and the first officer are leaving the ship together to go somewhere alone, like without security. And wouldn't they have sent an engineering team over first if the ship needs repairs? But I know it's to further the story, but I'm also like trying to figure out protocol as we're going through the show at the same time. Well, one thing is, uh, if you noticed, Alara had eyebrows. True. (laughs) I just I just I made a note about that because I was like, she has eyebrows and that, that I'll just leave it at that. But I noticed that, too, because I was like the captain and the first officer are going to go. And I think it's because his parents, quote unquote, yeah, were on the ship. So maybe it was like a false sense of security. I'm, yeah, that's a good way to kind of write it so that it makes sense for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also thought about at this point the fact that we have not seen transporters. No, it doesn't seem to be a thing. So we're obviously going to keep relating things back to Star Trek because that is our starting point for all this. But uh, I feel like they purposely didn't include transporters because it maybe makes some stories too easy. Like Mm -hmm. if there's always an easy out of like, oh, let's beam out of here. or We'll just beam over there or beam and beam and beam. But the shuttles adds an additional layer of difficulty just for accomplishing certain things. So it did seem a little odd and it was like, oh, wow, they're not just beaming over. They have to actually get in a shuttle and like go from one ship to the ship that's right next to them. Yeah, I think it provides another opportunity for discussion between characters, mm-hmm. too. And so Kelly and Ed were able to have like a conversation about the parents mm-hmm. and how that all shook out after the affair, <laughs> which was interesting. But I, I, I do think that it probably wasn't the smartest to send the captain and the first officer. No. And when Bordis is on a 21 day leave sitting on an egg, especially when. Yeah, because Olara immediately had like a panic attack. Yeah. Like it, it just seemed like I have some interesting thoughts about Alara throughout this whole episode. As do I. So mm-hmm. as Ed and Kelly board the vessel, they find themselves in a small enclosed box type thing. Which seems mm-hmm. to beam them away. So this has transporters. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> that the, beam them away. Yeah, the union doesn't. They just don't. <laughs> uh the Blario vanishes, revealing itself to be a holographic projection. Mm-hmm. Not knowing what to do, Alara runs from the bridge to Bordis's quarters and uses her security clearance. Must have, because there's you don't just let yourself in to people's places. So she was panicking so much. She's just like I'm head of security. Beep, boop, beep. I don't care about your privacy. Busts right in and finds Bordas sitting on the egg. That was problematic in a lot of ways because she just, she just like, first she abandoned the bridge. She panicked and then she ran to Bordas's room and walked in on him like naked sitting on an egg. And I feel like Bordas handled it pretty well. Yeah. But I don't have a lot of confidence in Alara. Like she's a security officer and she couldn't handle 
nothing immediately bad happened. It was just like they're gone. We've been duped. What do we do? Right. She just had to make a choice and got overwhelmed. Yeah. And so instead of calmly looking at the situation, she went to Bordis's room and literally invaded his privacy. But we did get to see like that whole process. Mm-hmm. Like he's brooding his egg. And he said he cannot leave his egg, so he can't come help her. 21 days. 21 days he has to sit on that. However, it works because Mocklin's only urinate once a year. Because that's what I was thinking. I was oh, like, right. how is he going to go to the bathroom? <laughs> and I was like, oh, he doesn't have to. Like, that was my immediate thought is like basic survival. But he can just hang out. I also had the thought that like, like he's he probably eats there and stuff too. And Clyden probably helps him out. But like mm-hmm. in an emergency situation, could they not have swapped? Could Clyden not have sat on the egg while Bordis took command? I'd have to look. Okay, so the book I have has a little bit more on Mocklin. So maybe what I'll do is I'll look into that because for the next episode and maybe I can find some fun things about that. Because I'm curious about a lot lot about the Mocklin race and how it's an all-male species. And at the end of the episode, we'll get to that later. But there's just... The egg laying. So I'm wondering if since Bordis laid the egg, he has to be the one to maybe incubate it. Oh, interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. But that makes Though, sense. I don't know. Yeah. I could. I'm just making that no, up. That, like it's so there's a lot of things in a lot of shows where you question and you go, well, why did this happen? And why did that happen? Like we just said, why did Ed and Kelly go over, even though that would probably mm-hmm. seem to breach protocol in what we're kind of writing as their protocol. But we do a lot of headcanon stuff where we kind of like fix the little gap so it makes sense to us. So in that rationale, that logically Mm -hmm. makes sense to me. Because I thought about that, too. I was like, why can't Clyden sit on the egg? Sure. But I was like, maybe there's something with whoever lays the egg. They need to be the one who incubates it. It could be a cultural thing, too. It could be. Mm -hmm. It could be. Uh, Alara musters the courage to return to the bridge and they retrieve the shuttle. She's clearly having a hard time giving orders and making decisions. And I thought it was interesting that we talked about last episode that it was interesting that they would have a 23 year old security officer. And we kind of questioned why. And this week we kind of get the answer to that. They can't do this story without a 23 year old security officer. Mm hmm. I had issues just like she couldn't handle the pressure. Mm. Like she just couldn't deal with it. And I wanted to like shake her and be like, you are in charge of like someone boards the ship and it's a security issue. She has to be the one who remains calm and deals with that. So I didn't understand why she couldn't handle the bridge. Yeah. It's one thing that she was fast tracked by the union and everything, but Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that even in union would overlook so many things like in this episode she does not act qualified to be a security officer no not even a security officer let alone head of security because i made some notes and i'm honestly isaac could have been a better captain while he was gone or gordon yeah and finn actually ranks similarly Mm -hmm. but i think and they would do this on tng too is that it would be the ranking bridge officer that would take command. Yeah. You wouldn't actually go to another department and like bring someone else up. Yeah, because she went down and she was asking Dr. Finn to relieve her of mm-hmm. duty. Like, make something up. Do this. Do that. And I I was like, you can't just give up that easily. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Finn does join them on the bridge. And she seems mm-hmm. to be like observing Alara's actions here. So clearly she knew something was up. Came up from sick bay. Was like, I need to keep an eye on this because... 
I'm the confident, capable one, and Alara's sitting in the command chair. There's just a lot of things throughout the episode where, with Alara interacting with the other members of the crew. And this was the point where she had the buoy. Yeah, so at this point, they grab the buoy with the tractor beam. They pull mm-hmm. it toward the Orville. As it gets close, it explodes, causing massive damage to the ship. Yeah, and Bordis almost fell off yes. his egg. And I, I remember this specifically because... They showed different aspects of the ship and people getting like knocked mm-hmm. around and then someone fell off the stairwell. And I that that brought back like nostalgia to me from like the next generation when anything attacked the ship. The camera shakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The camera shakes and all that. <laughs> but I was mostly like, oh, my God, what if Bordis fell off his egg? Like I actually had like an emotional reaction to that. And I, I just I'm glad that nothing happened to Bordis and his egg. Yeah, that was just something that of all the things that was the most concerning Would the baby had like would the egg have broken like what happened? like I just there was just a lot. Is it the Mocklin equivalent of shaken baby syndrome? Is that oh my gosh or like what if like board is having to deal with I don't know there was just a lot of things where because she didn't listen to other people's advice and she's like bring the buoy in the ship got really damaged Mm -hmm. and there could have been a lot more consequences. And like, I remember the sick bay was just full of people. Yeah. Uh, Alara leaves the bridge to check the damage in engineering. So she takes off from there too. the chief engineer assures her that everything can be fixed. It'll just take time. She then heads to sick bay and sees several officers injured. Uh, she asks Dr. Finn to come up with a reason to relieve her of command, but Dr. Finn refuses. Of course, she does offer some words of encouragement though. Again, Dr. Finn, most capable person on the ship mm-hmm. and i think she was acting as a mentor totally in, in a way well she makes the obi-wan joke mm-hmm. which goes over alara's head yep. but it is something where it's i think it's trying to show that parallel of like you can do it i'm here for advice but you have to be the one to do this i i thought it was interesting though that she was just like all these people got hurt and she's like clearly i can't handle this I I just felt like Alara waffled so much throughout this it's episode. True. And depending on who said what to her, it just seemed like anybody could have swayed her. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's one of the big issues I had with things. Yeah, me too. And I that's why I'm like Gordon knew exactly what he would have done. Mm-hmm. And Isaac I mean, in some ways I don't think Isaac would have made the best captain because he's very robotic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he might not have made the best calls on things. But it just there was it seemed like other people were more qualified to be absolutely acting captain. It's here that I also noticed that Dr. Finn uh, has two different uniforms. Oh, I did not notice that. So it dawned on me when they were talking that because I was like, well, why isn't Dr. Finn in command? I had that question first. And then they showed Finn in this conversation again. And I noticed she was missing the rank things from her shoulder. Oh, and I was like, why does she not have the rank things? And then I looked back at the previous episode and noticed that she actually has two different uniforms. And depending on the situation, where's one or the other? So when she's in sick bay, she has a longer uniform style like doctor's coat. So it mm-hmm. looks kind of like the same color and the badge and all the stuff that the uniform does, but it's missing the rank shoulders. And then when she goes on an away mission, she wears a normal union uniform that does have everything. I'm going to need to watch for that. Yeah. I didn't notice that. That's interesting. So I thought that was kind of a cool little touch. Because we see in TNG, you see like Crusher wears the blue robe over her uniform all the time. And this is their kind of solution mm-hmm. to that. She's still getting like a doctor's coat. 
but it's a uniform doctor's coat. Yeah. And I'm sure that the coat that she wears in sick bay or where she works is more conducive to taking care of people than if she had like a uniform on. Yeah. And it probably makes people feel more at ease. There's a psychological Mm -hmm. connection to seeing a doctor's coat and feeling like you trust that person more. Like there have been studies on that. Next episode, I'm 100% going to look for yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to wait till she goes on another away mission. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ed and Kelly awaken in what appears to be their old apartment in New York. They try to get out, but obviously the door won't budge. Back on the Orville, Isaac discovers a pulse that originated from the buoy's location and going outward, presumably toward where Mercer and Grayson may have been sent. Mm-hmm. I loved that. They were back in their apartment. I did enjoy Ed trying to open the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really cool when they show the landscape of New York City. I just think the futuristic aspect of that, which granted, it's like a scary situation. I just like that visual a lot. I think this was the point, too, on the bridge where Alara tells the chief to call her sir and not kid. Yeah, I believe so. Or is that now? Because she's at the point where she's, I think, still kind of unconfident. You might be right, though. You might be right. Because it says Isaac wants to do a scan. And then I think Alara, because, and he, she, oh, Isaac needs to get more power. Oh, right. Right, right, right. And so the chief calls up and says, Are you kidding me? Like, we need, you said we could have all this power. Yep. And then she, that, that's where there's like a glimmer of her confidence, mm. but it's short lived. It's very short lived. I think. <laughs> also, whenever she's being confident, and I don't know if this is uh, just, because Halston Sage is a younger actress or if this is actually her just being a really great actress portraying somebody who's pretending to be confident. Because mm-hmm. Alara, whenever she's being confident, never really gave off the vibe of being actually confident. It felt like somebody pretending to be confident. Yeah, it could have been an acting choice because I didn't feel ever like, oh, I would feel good if she was in charge. Yeah. So I um I noticed that, too. It just kind of felt awkward and a little uncomfortable. And then, you know, I understand, like, the, the chief should not have been calling her a kid. No, like, no. No, not at all. And I'm like, good, she stood up for herself. But that whole thing just, it made me kind of cringe, like, a little like, oh, yeah. when I was watching that. But I'm like, good for her. But I still, I just feel uncomfortable. In the environment, Ed and Kelly are settling in while still questioning where they really are. They reminisce about a couple they used to hang out with and discover they both secretly hated them. Loved this whole exchange. Me too. I The cake also looked delicious. It sure did. I was like, I could eat that and I would like that right now. So that made me want a replicator just immediately. Mm-hmm. But the whole story about the couple hanging out and like they both hated them. Like, I thought you liked her and you liked them. and. That's honestly kind of true. Like, I mean, like I've had stories like that. Yeah. Where it's like, I thought you we hung out with them because you liked them, kind of thing. I just think that whole it shows their their dynamic in a positive way. Like when they did work as a couple too. Yeah. And when they end up going to sleep, it's kind of like because they had left things hanging in the shuttle a little bit. Ed had made the comment about like, oh, I don't think we could have worked. And Kelly seemed to be like, oh, maybe, maybe it mm-hmm. still could. And then at this point, they're kind of like on the same page of like, huh, I wonder. Yeah. And they just kind of leave it at that at that point, which was interesting. Yeah. Isaac has located the origin of the pulse, which is in the Calavon system. Alara makes a call to Admiral Tucker, who forbids her from taking the Orville there. The Calavon are an advanced species that view lesser advanced life as inferior. 
frustrated with that decision, Alara smashes the desk. Oh, yeah. The desk just like incinerates. Yeah. I wonder how they did that. Uh, I can see them having like scored a bunch of it mm-hmm. and just having like all those cracks there, but then just like <laughs> carefully maneuvering it all together <laughs> so that when she hits it, it just implodes. I thought it was crazy that the Admiral was like, yep, they're just gone. Like I my brain was like, you're just going to count them as lost in the line of duty. Yeah. Like not even to try to like contact the Calavon and to be like, hey, can we like figure something out? It's just like they're they're pretty much dead. I mean, the way they explained it, any contact from us would have been completely ignored. That's true. But you could have tried. Yeah. It's a captain and a first officer, like high ranking command officers. I wonder if it would have changed things if he was like, let the union handle it. You come back to Earth and we'll deal with getting you a temporary captain and first officer. Mm-hmm. And we high ranking union officials will discuss how to handle this and we'll get back to you or we'll send out a team, a rescue party or something like that. That Obviously, that would have changed the whole episode. But yeah, it would have. And I did. They did say like it's an off limit sector in space. Mm-hmm. There were other factors, but I just was just shocked that they were just considered lost in the line of duty. How quickly <laughs> they were just yeah, like, oh, like, well, <laughs> later. Time to go back to Earth. <laughs> Mercer awakens to the sound of someone saying, wake up. He sees a mother and child looking at him through the apartment window where a force shield is keeping him in. Convenient that their old apartment in New York had a window that was the exact same size as like the viewing area of every zoo window. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I didn't think about that. Super convenient. And Ed also runs into it, and then he gets blown back. Yep. yep. I thought this was really interesting because he starts talking to the other aliens mm-hmm. in the cells. Like, they can converse with each other. Like, clearly you can hear everything. Yeah. And there's a point where they pan back, and you see just how big Yeah. And the Calamon don't even care that they could, like, mm-hmm. conspire or whatever. They're like, they're idiots. They're lesser creatures. Who cares if they communicate with each other? And that brings up the whole morality of... The Calavan species. <laughs> yes. When Kelly joins him in the living room, they find out from other aliens in similar pens that they're an exhibit in the Calavan Zoo. One of the aliens has been there for the past 31 years. And they also have, there's like a little kid in one mm-hmm. of them too. And the room, like I noticed this, and this is just immediately what I thought of. They're small, like the rooms are really small. Yeah, although I felt like the humans actually had a decent amount of space between, like they had an apartment. Mm-hmm. between that room and the bedroom which was behind them which i assume is just there it doesn't go away yeah and i wonder if it's because there's two of them possibly but also it's like the thing that's crazy is like the calavan knew to use ed's parents as bait mm-hmm. and then also they ha- i mean i don't know how they did it and i don't remember if they ever really fully addressed it but they knew how what their apartment looked like yeah. To like kind of make them settle in and then it's like, oh hey, you're in a zoo now. This is this is your new life. Yeah. I kind of thought of their pen, I guess I'll call it, yeah. as, as their cage as being like something at a regular zoo where like you see the house that the animals might be in, but sometimes they come out and then you mm-hmm. can look at them. So like people might walk by that exhibit and Ed and Kelly are just like not in the living room. Yeah. At that moment. So they just don't get to see any humans that day. <laughs> I thought that because like you go to the zoo and they're like, this is the polar bear exhibit, but they're in the cave or right, something. Right. That's why I was looking at the other aliens pens and there weren't 
spaces that they could go to. Yeah. That I noticed, at least in the few that they did show. But yeah, I didn't notice them either, but it's possible there was mm-hmm. something. I don't know. Alara gives the order to return to Earth and Malloy objects. So she relieves him of duty and excuses him from the bridge, which honestly is probably one of the most like forceful, confident decisions she made. And I think it was just to assert herself like it wasn't yeah. even I didn't like how she handled that at all. Nor I. And I thought like, oh, you can you can kick off him off the bridge. But he's you weren't she wasn't listening to the crew and she wasn't listening to concern. She's mm-hmm. just kind of like a dictator almost. Yeah. Which is so again, she was like pretending to be a commander. She mm-hmm. doesn't really know how to be in charge. She's just doing what she thinks you're supposed to do when you're in charge. But if you're a security officer, I know <laughs> you have to like if there's a situation like, say, the krill boarded the ship, she'd be like you over here. And granted, that would be in her wheelhouse. But I feel like command is similar to that where you mm-hmm. have to make tough decisions, especially for security. Yeah, she must know something more than like she must have some other qualification than just being strong. Yeah. And we're not seeing it in this episode. No. she goes to see dr finn again who lays out the choice she's being faced with along with the potential consequences yeah it the thing that was interesting about i just i feel like she is very disliked alara like it's the whole ship because she makes the decision like i'm gonna listen to the admiral we're going back to earth Mm -hmm. which is why gordon got kicked off the bridge because they wanted to set a course to earth yep but there was the point after that where they were in the cafeteria after she talks to uh, Finn, mm-hmm. and it was an interesting thing. That's where the whole line of, like, you suck, sir, that Gordon says comes yeah. up. But she walks in. Everybody's trying to, like, avoid eye contact with her. Then she sits down, and they talk with her. And then she makes a speech. This scene is my least favorite of the entire episode. Same. Because I remember making a note as I was watching this. I'm like, she's a terrible captain and she can't make any decisions for herself. And if Gordon had said the complete opposite thing, she would have done the complete opposite thing. And I was like, nobody's I just the whole everybody cheering after she's Mm -hmm. like, screw those orders. We're going to get them, which I'm like, yes, thank you. That's what I wanted you to do. But it just didn't feel I wasn't rooting for her at mm-hmm. that point because i was like she can't make a decision for herself no she's just doing whatever other people tell her to do mm-hmm. and the way this scene is set up it's like she changes her mind in a way just to get the crew's favor back yes and it's with complete completely ignoring the possible consequences of what they're about to do she doesn't mm-hmm. address that at all so What she should have done or what they could have done in the scene, I think, to make it work a little bit better is as a true leader, she should have informed the crew of all the potential risks. She should have gotten up and been like, hey, I know I gave an order to go back to Earth because that's the order I was given. Mercer and Grayson are still out there. It would be an incredible risk on our part. To go after them. We've been ordered not to. We'd be risking our careers. Basically repeat all the stuff that Dr. Finn said to her. Yeah. Like we'd be risking our careers. We'd be risking the safety of the crew and the ship. If we go after them. I cannot order you to do that. Mm-hmm. However. I am asking. If you are with me. Yeah. 
because then you're kind of presenting all the possible options. You're not just saying, I'm putting everyone in danger because they'll like me better for it. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get the captain and the first officer. And it's because Gordon told me I suck. Like, that's kind of how I felt about it. And it was like that. It was the thing where she would talk to one person and she'd change. And then she talked to a different person and she'd change. She flip flopped all over. And there's other thoughts I have, but we'll talk about them as they come (laughs) up later. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, for this, it comes down to me like she still doesn't understand how to be a captain. Because mm-hmm. leadership is not always about commanding. No. It's about, and, and Finn touched on this earlier. She said you need to find that middle ground. You yeah. need to know what your decision and your desire is. And you also need to weigh the opinions of everyone around you because that's your crew. And then you need to find that middle ground. She never finds a middle ground anywhere in this episode. It's always doing one side or the other. Yeah. It's very much a back and forth, like she's all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I found that unenjoyable to watch because it made me like it made me uncomfortable, which maybe that's what it was supposed to do. But I kind of I wasn't rooting for her. And I feel bad saying that, but I was just kind of like it made me not enjoy her character very much like this whole episode. Yeah, I don't think it did a really great job of fleshing her out. I think they do get to spend some more time on her. Mm hmm. That is enjoyable that we'll eventually get to, but this episode did not do it for her. No. They return to the bridge and head to the Calavon system. Finn is actually sitting at one of the back consoles here. So we had said, I think this is the first time we see anyone since we saw Bordas and Alara standing there in the pilot. Yeah. Well, I think this is when Isaac came up with the plan to cloak the ship. Yes. And once again, Isaac... Would have been a better captain. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know if Isaac would have gone after him because he would have gone based on logic. Mm-hmm. But he did. I think I remember Claire saying to Alara, too, like, you need to take the advisement of your crew. Mm-hmm. And Isaac coming up with those ideas, I think she was trying. Alara was trying to dismiss them and be like, oh, we can't do that. Yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly. But I, I mean, Isaac single handedly came up with a plan to save them. Yeah, he's like, oh, we have this leftover like holographic generator from the buoy that we got, which I don't mm-hmm. know how they got, although it looked like when it blew up, part of it did fly into the cargo bay. Yeah. So maybe that's where the holographic projector was, I'm assuming, because they did kind of focus on that shot for a moment. So they use that. They create the Calavon ship around it. And then as they approach the planet, they get scanned by the other Calavon ship, which very tense moment. I actually really enjoyed that. But I don't know if that would pass scan, although it, it passed their scan. That is true. When they did it for the uh, Blario. See, that filled in a gap for me because I was like, there's clearly humanoids on like humans, all different aliens. Wouldn't they be able to tell the difference between the makeup mm-hmm. of who's aboard? But like you said, they did a scan and thought Ed's parents were on board. Yeah. So. Maybe that holographic generator has something to it. Maybe it's really powerful. (laughs) As Alara and Isaac head down to the surface, Catan informs Dr. Finn that as the ranking officer, she's now in command, Mm -hmm. which was a nice little touch, even though I was like, yes. (laughs) I know. I was like, thank God. (laughs) Um, And I think even like she, Claire was kind of like, oh, man, it's like I'm in charge. But I was like, I don't think it was the same kind of panic or disarray that Alara had. It was more like, I think by this time it was like, 
oh, she did find a way to like pass off command eventually. Yeah. Uh, we rejoin Ed and Kelly, who are already starting to argue with each other about the small annoyances of living together. That was also enjoyable, too. I just like that he had he's like, I'm having a beer. And I just thought that she's like, it's nine in the morning <laughs> and she's eating cereal and he's annoyed that she's eating yeah. cereal. It's all the things that just bothered each other about living together before that are just resurfacing as if no time has passed whatsoever. And and it's interesting to contrast from the like reminiscing and the memories from the cake eating scene <laughs> mm. until now where it's just I believe it's just like a few days later and they're yeah. just on each other's and they're trapped in there. They can't get out. Yeah, I uh, I imagine it probably would have taken them some time. Like you said, a few days to get to the Calvon mm-hmm. system. I like to think it's the next day and they're already annoyed with each other. <laughs> That's what I like, too, because I did find something that said they estimate it took about 21 days for the whole rescue mission to take place. I just found that on like a wiki. That would make sense based on the final scene. Mm -hmm. And so they were trying to. So I know it wasn't the next day, but I'm in the same camp as like just the next morning and they just are already (laughs) on each other's nerves. Yeah. But he's he is drinking a beer at like nine in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) Isaac and Alara speak to the zookeeper who's only willing to do so because Isaac is Kalon, which are a technologically equivalent race to the Calvon. Mm-hmm. Isaac tells the zookeeper that he would like custody of the humans since they have a disease that could infect the other exhibits. The zookeeper orders a euthanasia sweep of Ed and Kelly's cell and green beams appear, slowly closing in on the two of them. I thought it was interesting that the Calvon would see Isaac, because he was another being that viewed others as inferior. Mm-hmm. And um, Alara went with him and he said that it she was his pet. Yeah, I liked I liked when she just goes, woof. See, and that was a joke that I didn't enjoy. Really? But I, I liked I do, that yeah, one. See, yeah. So there there was that dynamic. And I mean, the zookeeper was so condescending. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, and I um thought it was really interesting that. Isaac had to vouch for Alara mm-hmm. to be like, listen to my Salayan woman. <laughs> like the way he worded that, I was like, holy. And the whole willingness to trade. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like that big reveal at the end, I really liked. That was very funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am just even just thinking about it makes me laugh. But um, <laughs> the fact that the laser beams that like stressed me out when I first watched that, I was like, why are their laser? Oh, God, they are. They're going to just going to kill him because they have a rare disease because they just don't care. Like it brings back all the morality of this Caliban race. Like they just don't care. No, they don't. Because if you think about the scene where Isaac is convincing him to talk to Alara, I just tried to like re-envision that scene in my brain. And it's a human being saying to another human, hey, uh, for a second, would you mind talking to my dog? Yeah. Could you listen to my dog barking at you for a moment? The only difference being that they can actually understand each other. Yeah. But it, it, it that's the parallel. Yeah. Like, that's what it would the equivalent. But and it, it's kind of when you really break it down, you you have to think about how the Calavon are actually. Yes, maybe they're they're smart and they have all these things, but they're doing terrible things. Oh, they're the worst. <laughs> they are. I, they're doing like they're imprisoning other races so they can gawk at them and essentially go, oh, wow, you guys. Look at how stupid they are in that cage. But here's the thing, too, is for them, it's not a question of morality. 
But I feel like to the rest of the universe. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. But for them, they're just like, yeah, okay, we have pets. Mm-hmm. You have pets. We have pets. Uh, yeah, it is true. Like when you think about it from that perspective. But what about like they came back for Kelly and Ed. Mm-hmm. What about all these other creatures? Like, like they're just there. Nobody came to rescue them. They might all be presumed dead, too. Mm-hmm. Like the Orville pursued. But they could have been like, oh, they were vaporized in that thing. Yeah. It wasn't until Isaac discovered that there was a trail that they were like, oh, OK, I guess they're not dead. They are somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But there's something that comes up later that I have questions about. Just that Kelly and Ed get out. But does everybody else stay there? That's yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, they can't obviously rescue everyone. They don't have room on the ship to get everyone out. And Kelly, I guess, was very selective about who she was going to take out of there. And yeah, I would rescue the kid too, but still, I understand. How'd they get the kid out, though. Yeah. I had that was something that I was the kids on the ship at the end, and I was like, well, but how, how did they get him out? Maybe and like again, one additional scene of like, hey, mm-hmm. this stuff is so good that we're giving you the reality yeah. TV, the like 10,000 files uh, <laughs> that are replacing the human exhibit that maybe we could take that kid to. Yeah, that is true. It just it, that is also something where like you they're flying away from that and you just think about you're leaving everybody else in that giant zoo mm-hmm. entrapped for the rest of their lives. One could hope that the union takes the information that they now have and disperses it to all the other planets within the union, but who's to mm-hmm. say these other creatures are actually union planets? True. It is just something when you really think about it, like the magnitude of it and like filling in those voids of they probably told everybody and then everybody got out. Like, that's how I reconcile it in my head. Yeah, because it is it's it's zoos can be sad. I had a friend who worked at a zoo and she said sometimes, you know, at the good zoos, it's just animals who can't be in the wild anymore. Yeah. But this is definitely the Calavan Zoo was just a zoo to oogle other ra- other like alien races, and it's not animals that can't survive on their Pure own. Pure imprisonment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then go back aboard the Orville. The captain and the first officer are back aboard, and Mercer awards Catan the Sapphire Star for her exemplary leadership. <laughs> I see that face you're making. Uh, Alara reveals that the trade was Malloy's idea. She gave the Calavon around 10,000 episodes of reality television, which is a great bit. But again, uh, I don't feel like, well, we can talk about this in the takeaways too, because we'll, we'll wrap everything up nicely. Uh, but for this final scene here, we return to Bordis's quarters where the egg begins to crack. He calls in Clyden as the egg hatches. They're shocked to see that the baby is female, something that Bordis says is impossible. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited to talk about the next episode. Yeah, great cliffhanger at the end of this mm-hmm. one. And um, it was kind of exciting. I'm like, Bordis's babies, like their babies being born. And it is like a, like a baby chick kind of like hatching yep. out of an egg. And um, I'm just that is like another cliffhanger that they leave for us. And I'm just excited for that whole I mean, it's an all-male species, but they just had a baby girl. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's a great, great cliffhanger. Yeah, to yeah. bring us into the next one. Okay, so what is your big takeaway from this episode? 
I had a tough time coming up with a takeaway for this just because I had such a struggle with the whole Alara storyline. Mm-hmm. I feel like she should not have gotten a Sapphire Star. She did not showcase any sort of like skill set that I Gordon sure he came up with the trade idea mm-hmm. Isaac came up with the cloaking why didn't they get sapphire stars because so many leaders are really good at taking credit for what the people around them do oh so my takeaway is I like Alara a little less now and I just it, it is one of those things where I'm like she couldn't have gotten there without everybody else mm-hmm. And so I thought that the uh, ceremony of her getting the Sapphire Star was a little contrived for me. Then I just was like, nope, I'm just going to focus on the fact that Bordis's baby is now here and I'm just going to move past it. <laughs> but I just I will say like this wasn't my favorite episode, but I do think there was a lot about Alara we learned. And I'm curious how that's going to all play out in the rest of this season. Mm-hmm. And how this episode's going to compare to ones in the future with her character. True, yeah. Because may- maybe it's going to tie in somehow, somewhere. And we've we've said, I, w- w- this is no secret that we've seen the first two seasons pretty much. But we had both said that we kind of forgot about this episode. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I remembered the zoo stuff, but I didn't yeah. remember where it came in or where it fit. But the whole angle with Alara here... I had no recollection of. Also, the same thing. Like I completely blacked out all of that. Yeah, I remember the zoo, but the stuff with Alara is. I was like watching a new episode because I didn't remember any of that. Same. So, what was your takeaway of the whole episode? This, so, there's there's kind of two major things being explored here. One is the one we've been discussing already, and that's Alara learning quote-unquote learning a few lessons about leadership and kind of gaining a level of confidence uh the quote that stands out about the episode as a whole is the one said by dr finn where she explains that command is all about the balance between inspiring confidence in your leadership and knowing when to trust your people like she says it to alara at one point lays it out and says this is kind of the overarching message of the episode But then the episode failed to land on that premise. And like we had said before, Alara does not find a middle ground. There's no point where she's like, this is what I want to do, but I'm going to back off of it a little bit and find that compromise with my crew to get their ideas into our solution as well. Because even though this is what I want to do, maybe I don't have the best path for accomplishing this. So I need to then divert to my crew and get their feedback. And then we create a cool plan that didn't happen in this episode. No, it was basically like you said, people tell Alara what to do and she flip flops back and forth and does whatever people tell her to do. She was never actually a leader in this episode, which is kind of the biggest problem with it. But that being said, The other thing that I did like that happened throughout this episode is the further exploration of Ed and Kelly's relationship potential. So at this point, we're seeing Kelly being like, I don't know, maybe it still could work or it could have worked. And Ed just kind of playing it off right away. And then they go through an entire arc in a very short amount of time of, okay, uh, 
that goes right away because I'm having beers at 9 a.m. and you're eating cereal and we clearly don't work together as a couple. But then Ed even touches on it later on where he's like, we're a crappy couple, but we work really well together. Yeah. So even though they didn't show us really that in the episode either, they just kind of said it at the end. If they had maybe gotten out of the cell and then bumped into Alara and that led to the conversation with the zookeeper. It's like, okay, so you guys were not a great couple. You just showed us that, but you still like did something using each of your skills to get out of one part of your predicament. I think that would have wrapped up their arc a little nicer too. So I I, I hate to be the person who goes back and like rewrites things because hindsight's 2020, of course. But I think both of the storylines that were going on here went for something that neither of them completely nailed. Yeah, I I think a lot of it was all over the place. And I, I know, I mean, putting something like this together, a show in general, would be so mm-hmm. hard. And to get everything to work together, I just felt like the ending could have been tied up a little bit nicer. Yeah, I agree. Just in general. <laughs> I will say, too, though, uh, that this episode... I largely enjoyed the comedy much more than I did in the pilot. Yeah, I think it was much smoother by way of just like intermixing the two. Totally. And I still enjoyed the episode. There's just things I had problems with. (laughs) Yeah, it is one of my least favorite episodes of this season. Yeah. And that's tough, like on your second episode to come in with something like the concepts are so cool. Like there's a zoo and Bordis is sitting on an egg and it introduces some really cool things. Um, I just just little things around that that didn't quite check check the box for me. I agree. As we wrap things up, as we always do, we need to kick it to Mark for his one sentence review. Why, dear God, of all things, has Dora the Explorer lasted 400 years? Quantum Drive is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on the Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Katie Play and on Twitch at Katie Peters Plays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.